Welcome. You are listening to the Upper Room Podcast. For more information or to donate to this ministry, visit URFellowship.com. How about those kids? Man, I could watch them all day. My favorite part was when we put them in very constricting animal outfits and then had them do motions. That was, that was my favorite. So today, going into Christmas, what I want to do is actually just read the Christmas story. And uh, the reason I want to read the Christmas story is I have a feeling in the midst of all the busyness around Christmas time, uh, it's possible to get through the entire Christmas season and, and celebrate Christmas and never really hear the Christmas story. So we had a short but very cute retelling by the kids, and now I would just want to take the, the gospel accounts of the birth of the story and just kind of string them together and basically just read the Christmas story. Now, here's the amazing thing about our Bible. We have four accounts of Jesus' life, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And that's a very big deal that we don't just have one an account. We have four accounts of the life of Jesus. Matthew and Luke give us the birth story, uh, the whole thing about Jesus in Bethlehem and Mary and Joseph and all that stuff. Mark and John don't even mention the birth story. In fact, Mark is the shortest gospel, and Mark is he's very, very direct. Uh, here's how the gospel of Mark begins. He starts like this. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Boom, and then he just starts. He goes right into... John the Baptist, and then you're just off to the races. John, who also wrote some other things that are in the New Testament, John, on the other hand, uh, doesn't really tell us what happened. John tells us why it happened. And, and this, is, this is actually really surprising because when Jesus died on the cross, as he was dying, he said to John, hey, I'm not going to be here, so John, um, I, would, I would like you to take Mary as your mother. Take care of her. And so tradition tells us that even after the resurrection, the gospel writer John actually took care of Mary for many, many years. Some people think they moved to Ephesus, and Mary and John stayed together, and he took care of her in her old age. We don't know for sure if that's the case, but we know that John knew Mary. And John was so close to Mary that if anybody had ever heard the birth story, it would have been John. You know, what was it like when that angel visited you, Mary? What did your mama say when you told her about all this stuff? All those things that we wonder about, John knew, because John knew Mary. And yet when John begins his gospel, he doesn't begin with Bethlehem and angels and shepherds and all that stuff. John tells us why Jesus came. He says stuff like this. John begins his gospel this way. He says, the word, that's God, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. John's an old man when he writes this. I mean, he's seen Jesus crucified. He's seen the empty tomb. He's seen the resurrected Jesus. He saw all the chaos that followed. He saw the persecution of the church, the destruction of the temple. I mean, he saw the whole world turn upside down. He's an old man, and he's looking back, and he just wants you to know right up front, hey, in case you don't make it past the first chapter, you need to know this. Having seen the whole thing, here's what it's all about. God showed up, and he made his dwelling, or he camped out among us. The thing that makes John's introduction, in fact, uh, John's entire gospel. So fascinating is that John is one, is the one who get, he gets extremely personal about Jesus. He says this, to all who receive him 
And then he, it's like he pauses and he goes, receive him. To all who receive him. Okay, they're not really going to understand that. How do you really receive someone? Uh, to all who receive him. And then John does something amazing. John realizes, okay, they got to get this. They got to understand how personal this is. This isn't just a story. And so John takes two Greek words that had never been combined before. John creates a phrase. John takes two Greek words that according to all Greek Greek literature up to this point had never been put together before. He takes the Greek word for faith, pistuo, to believe, and then he takes this little Greek word, this little uh, connector word that means in, and he puts them together. He says, to those who receive him, to those who, how do I say this? To those who believe in. That's the phrase he puts together. Believe in. These two words have never been put together before in a phrase. To those who believe in. It's more than believe that. It's more the idea of placing one's weight upon. It's like trusting in. John wants you to know that this isn't just like a story. This is personal. And if you want to know the why behind the birth story, the person to ask is John. Because he knew Jesus' mother Mary. He'd heard the story a hundred times. He's experienced all of Jesus' ministry. In fact, at the end of John's gospel, just to make sure we don't miss the why, here's how he closes it. He says, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John really wanted us to know this this is personal. But here's the thing. It took John. It took Matthew. It took... Peter, Andrew, James, and all the followers of Jesus, it took them about three years to figure this out. Throughout Jesus' whole ministry, they keep thinking, okay, is, is now the time you're going to restore Israel? Is now the time we're going to become a great kingdom? Is now the time you're going to you know, overthrow Rome and rule? We're, we believe you're the Messiah. We believe you're the Christ. So when are you going to get on with a little bit more Messiah-ing here? You know, when are we going to start? At, when are you going to start acting like a king? When are you going to get the show on the road? And for three years, they kept waiting for him to do something he never planned to do. It took them three years to understand this: that this is about a man who has come into the world, the Son of God, to be the Savior of the world, not just the Savior of Israel. And it took them three years to realize they all along had had the wrong agenda. And here's why that's important: because. A lot of you may have the wrong agenda when it comes to Jesus as well. We want Jesus to be so many things. And we want Jesus to do so many things. And we want to put Jesus in so many different little boxes. And John wants us to make sure that we don't miss the why behind the what. That Jesus came into this world to be a personal savior. And if John were here, I think his question for us Christians would be, or for all of us, would be, do you believe in not do you believe that? Do you have, have you put your trust in Jesus? And I think here's what he would say. I think he'd say, if you don't believe, keep seeking. And if you aren't sure you believe, keep asking. I think he would say, hey, it took me a while. It took me a while to get it. I mean, I sat at the campfire with this guy. I saw miracles. I was in the boat when Peter jumped out, and we thought, you know, way to go, Peter. And then we were like, oh, no, Peter... I was there, I witnessed these things. I realized it took us a while to understand why Jesus came. As much as we thought it was a problem with Rome, as much as we thought it was a problem with our money, as much as we thought it was a problem with culture, as much as we thought it was a problem with the government, 
it finally dawned on us that God sent us exactly what we need. Because our problem was sin. Okay, so Christmas story. So again, as I said, we get the Christmas story uh, from the book of Matthew and Luke. Mark Mark goes straight into it. Let's get going. John tells us, it's like, let me tell you why. Luke is great. Luke is different because Luke begins his gospel this way. He says, hey, I've heard all the stories. I've met all these kind of fascinating people. I've seen miracles. I've talked to John. But somebody's got to write this thing down so people will know what happened. So Luke went around and interviewed all the eyewitnesses and put together an orderly account. Luke's gospel does not begin with like once upon a time. It's, it begins with, I have talked to people who were there. I've talked to the eyewitnesses. And I put together an orderly account about how this thing actually went down. I like Luke. I like orderly accounts. And Luke's Christmas story begins like this. In verse 26, Luke 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city. So way up north, to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Luke gives all of, his, of this detail because anything he knows he's going to put into his account. The virgin's name was? Say it with me. Mary. Good. We knew that one. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So Mary, she's scared to death, right? They got it right in the little video. Uh, And the angel says to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You're not in trouble. I mean, remember when your dad would call you down or your mom would call you or you had to go to the principal's office. It was always bad news. Whenever someone goes, hey, Chris, we need to talk, I just assume it's bad news, right? Imagine if an angel was like, Chris, we need to talk. Boy, oh boy, it's going to be bad. So Mary's like, here's an angel. I must be in trouble. But the angel goes, behold, you conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name. Now, this is really important, okay? You shall call his name Jesus. Now, this is tricky. Jesus is actually Latin for, for, for the name Jesus. She didn't hear the name Jesus. She didn't hear the Greek word. Because the Greek word for Jesus is a, it's a transliteration of a Hebrew word that we know as Joshua, but there's no J in Hebrew. Okay, are you confused? Here's what Mary heard the angel tell her to name the baby. Yeshua. Yeshua. That's important for later in the story. So she hears an angel say, you're going to give birth to a son, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you what to name him. You are to name him after that Old Testament hero, Joshua. That's important. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And and of his kingdom there will be no end. Okay, so now we're going to hit the pause button with Luke. And we're going to go to Matthew. Here's how Matthew begins his account of Jesus' life. Here's how he begins. Verse 18, chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph... Before they came together, she was, and this was a bad day for Mary. She was found. Literally, it means she was found out. It was discovered. And even though the angel had appeared, and even though she knew this was coming, suddenly she realizes that she is really pregnant. And she tells someone who tells someone, but she doesn't tell them the whole story because they would think she's crazy. And as awkward as that was for young ladies in, in, in our culture, I'm telling you, it's a capital fence in this culture back then. 
She could have been burned to death. That's what they did. She could have been executed. She would definitely be ostracized. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now in that day and age, because they'd been promised to each other, it was, it was basically like they were married. For him to, quote, break up with her wasn't like, okay, I need my, I need my letter jacket back. Right? I need my ring back. I need my trophy back. I need my thing back. I need my whatever it is back. It was a bigger deal than that. This was a legal thing. They had to actually go to a priest. He had to go to a priest. He had to sign some things. He had to legally break up with her because she had been promised to him since she was a child. This was a big ordeal. There was no way for this not to be public. But he was going to try to keep it on the down low and as secret as possible. The scripture continues, verse 20. But as he considered these things, Joseph's like, man, I don't know what to do. He's considering his next step. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. So Matthew gives us Joseph's side of the story, and this is what the angel said. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Even though people are going to talk, even though people are going to assume that you're the father, even though people are going to assume you didn't wait, even though people are going to think that you brought shame to your family, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. This is where it gets exciting for Joseph. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And again, he didn't hear Jesus. That's Latin. He heard, he heard the name Joshua. That's pronounced Yeshua. And like it is today, it was the parents' right, in, in, in particular in those days, the father's right to name the son. So the Lord shows up and says, you're not going to name the son. This is the name he's going to have. In the Bible, a person's name was never just like a label. Kids never got named after the mom's favorite soap opera character. All right, or because their parents like the sound of it. In the Bible, your name is your identity, and it shows your purpose. It tells you what you're to live for. Yeshua means to deliver, to save, or to rescue. The reason God will not let Joseph or Mary name this child is because they are not allowed to think they have authority over him. In the Bible, to name someone was, was the work of an authority over someone. So, for example, in 2 Kings 23, when one king defeated another king, the victorious king would always rename the defeated king. Probably some, make some terrible names for those defeated king. You remember when God brought the animals to Adam and said, I want you to name these animals? Why did he do that? Was God out of ideas? He says, I created all the creatures over here. Creation's hard work. I named all these various botanical species, and there are just thousands of them. But I need someone to name these things. I've run out of ideas. Would you give these things names? No, he wasn't saying that. When he asked Adam to name the animals, he meant, I want you to take charge of them. I want you to take care of them. You're responsible for these. So parents name their children because they have authority over them. But what we have here is God showing us, he's showing up and teaching us, God, Jesus Christ is not merely a human being. No one has the right to name Jesus. Why? Because the minute he was born, he was already an authority over his parents. And so an angel says to Joseph in a dream, Mary's going to give birth to a son. It's not your biological son. It's from the Holy Spirit. You're to name him Joshua. 
You're to name him Yeshua. And if Joseph could have responded, he couldn't because he was sleeping, but if he could, he would have said, you don't have to tell me, I know. Because if this, if this child is to be born through the Holy Spirit and is going to be given the name Joshua, I know what that is. I've read about that. I know, what the, I know what, why he's here. And the angel would have said, because he will save his people, to which Joseph would have said, I know that too. I know he's going to save his people. Because we all know that one day, a Messiah will come, and the Messiah will come in the spirit of Joshua. He'll have, he'll have the wisdom of Moses, but he'll be a military leader like Joshua. And just like Joshua took the nation of Israel into the promised land and vanquished and conquered all the enemies of Israel, in the same way, this Messiah will show up and throw off Rome, throw off our enemies, and we'll be a great nation again. And I get to be part of the fulfillment of this thing we have all been looking for. And I'm going to have a son. I'm going to name him. His name's going to be Joshua. He's going to be like the Joshua of the Old Testament. He's going to save his people. And the angel would have said, okay, hey, I'm not done. Because he will save his people from their sins. Okay, angel, time out. Sins? Those aren't like a big deal. In fact, angel, I don't know if you know this, but like 70, 80 miles south of here, we have a pretty sophisticated save-you-from-your-sin system. It's called the temple. It's called the Law of Moses. We got save-you-from-your-sins covered. That's not what we need. When I sin, I go down there, I take a couple pigeons or a lamb, a goat or something, we do a sacrifice. We don't need to be saved from our sins. Now, Rome, they need saved from their sins. And we need to be saved from Rome, like plague-style, like Old Testament style, right? Let justice roll down like waters, like locusts and frogs, that whole Red Sea thing. We could do that again if you want. So Angel, if there's going to be some saving going on, I got some ideas. This wasn't what they were looking for. This wasn't their agenda. It wasn't the agenda they had for their Messiah. And yet the angel said to Joseph, you're going to have a son. And he will come in the spirit of Joshua, the deliverer, the savior, but he's come to save your people from the thing they need saving from the most, their sin. In verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. Because that's what you do, right? If an angel of the Lord appeared to you, you do whatever the angel tells you to do. If you're sure it's an angel. He did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, even though they weren't married. Now we're going to switch back to Luke because the story continues, and this gets, this gets dramatic. And you've heard these words thousands of times. They kind of roll over us, but this is such a big deal. Some time goes by, she begins to show, everybody knows she's pregnant, and they still haven't had a wedding. There's all this murmuring, all these rumors, but who's going to believe their crazy story? And then Luke gives us some more detail, Luke 2.1. In those days, Caesar Augustus, he's the first Roman emperor, before, before Rome was a republic, Caesar Augustus changed all that, he became the king of Rome. So right at the, right at the same time, in the very era when Rome had their first king, a Jewish king was being born. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And all the, went, the world, I'm sorry, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Now, this is amazing. Mary and Joseph lived in Nazareth, which is about 90 miles from Bethlehem. And yet the prophets of old predicted that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. But they're not in Bethlehem. They're in Nazareth. And she's close to giving birth. And they're thinking, 
we're going to give birth in Nazareth. But somewhere along the way, God elbowed Caesar Augustus, got him to tax the, the whole world, take a census to move two people 90 miles. God used the most powerful man on the planet to make sure that his son was born in the right place. And Caesar Augustus never even knew it. But it earned him a mention in the story of the birth of the Savior of the world, which is cool. Everyone went down to their own town to register. So you know the story, Luke 2.4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and in the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with the child. And this is not an easy journey. Now, in all the picture books, all the story books, Mary's riding a what? A donkey. You know what verse that's in? That'd be no verses. That's not in the Bible. But it looks good, doesn't it? It just looks good. She's on the donkey. They're all by themselves, right? In the moonlight. He's out in the front, kind of walking along. She's got her legs draped, draped over this donkey. It's a great picture. Maybe that's how it happened. Probably not. She was probably walking, right? And they came with a group. It wasn't just the two of them. It would have been too dangerous. And it took a long time. In fact, it would have taken about a week to make this journey. And she's very pregnant. But they have to go. They're in a bad mood. I mean, talk about bad timing. They're making their way to the city of David to fulfill an Old Testament prophecy. That would not have happened if the most powerful man in the world didn't decide to count everybody at the most inopportune time. Verse 6. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes. And laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out on the field, excuse me, keeping watch over their flock by night, so freezing cold, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And we should stop here, because we should ask the question, why shepherds? There's a lot of people. Why not the plumbers, you know? And all the plumbers were gathered at the bar, and an angel of the Lord. Why, why not farmers? Why the shepherds? And the answer is, we don't know. But here's what we know about shepherds. Shepherds, as I've mentioned before, were always ceremonially unclean. They could not enter the temple. They, when, they walk, when you walk around behind thousands of sheep, you, you step in things. So they're always ceremonially unclean. You provide the lambs for the people to eat. You provide the lambs for the temple. And if they were in this area, they were certainly selling a lot of sheep to people who were going to make sacrifices for sin. They themselves were kind of outcasts from the whole religious system. And so God chooses to announce the birth of his son to a group of people that would typically be least likely to be able to participate in something like this. Luke 2.9, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. This is the announcement to the shepherd, Luke 2.11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. To you guys, you guys who never get included in anything religious, you guys that were outcasts, a Savior has been born to you. You're included. A Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the one you've heard about your whole life. And this will be a sign for you. Here's how you're going to know you've found this baby, okay? You'll find a baby. And they're probably like, how are we going to find a baby? The angels are like, we're not finished yet, all right? You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. Well, that's not 
unusual. We're, we're not finished yet, all right? And lying in something you guys all know about, a manger. And then Luke 2.13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among who, those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see. And, and this is important. See this thing that has happened. Now here's what we need to understand if you're not a Christian. We are Christians because something happened. We are Christians because God came to earth and things happened. And people recorded them. Because when important things happen, you record them. Now th things the emperor did, they recorded some of those things. Things famous generals did, they recorded. But other than emperors and generals, not very much got recorded in the first century. Think about this. We have four accounts of the life of, the car of a carpenter from Nazareth. We have four accounts of the life of a carpenter from Nazareth. Why? Because something happened. And the fact that something happened was why it was recorded and why it was precious and why it was copied and why people died to make sure it made it to our generation. We're Jesus followers because something happened. God came to earth in the form of a baby. And it was such a big deal that this story was recorded and protected and copied and cherished and people died to make sure it passed from generation to generation. Christianity is not fragile. Because something happened, which the Lord has told us about. Verse 16, And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the sayings that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And then perhaps the most important verse in the whole birth story. I love this. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. She hid them. She rehearsed them. She thought about it rethought about it because after all who would believe her her reputation had been shattered and so she told no one because no one would believe it and we assume she tried to raise Jesus as normal as possible and then one day about 33 years later she would watch her firstborn son die and then she would peer into an empty tomb and she would be embraced by her resurrected son who she knew without a doubt in that moment was in fact exactly what the angels foretold. He was the savior of the world. But he wasn't just a savior, he was her personal savior. And Matthew would do his best to write it down and get it right because something happened. And Luke would do his best to write it down and get it right because he wanted to put things in some sort of order. But it would be John who took care of Mary. It would be John who would summarize it best. And, and years later, he's an old man, he's sitting by himself, and he's writing all this stuff down to make sure that, hey, this, is, this has got to survive me. Something happened, and he gets, he gets to uh, this part of the story of Jesus, and he comes up with a way to, he's trying to come up with a way to summarize it. Like, how do I summarize this? And little did he know, what he was about to write would be repeated and memorized by people all over the world in languages that had yet to be spoken, in nations that had yet to be discovered. Just think about that. John, who saw it all, who experienced it all, who heard the story from Mary a dozen times, hundreds of times, it's like, how do I summarize this? And in God's grace, he allowed John to say it best. This is the Christmas story. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son that whoever, and John, I think, was like, whoever, whoever, whoever. And he's like, oh, yeah, I got to use my phrase. Whoever believes in, trusts in, places their weight upon, will not perish but have eternal life. Can you imagine having been the one who wrote that? He's an old man and wonders, will anybody, you know, will any, anybody do anything with this? You think this will get around? And here we are 2,000 years later, and most of us can quote it. But it didn't stop there. Here's, here's the part we never memorize as children. Here's why we celebrate Christmas, John 3:17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And John would know. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. Because the angels were right to Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds. That God sent a Savior into the world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Which means in spite of what we think we need, in spite of what you think you need this Christmas, God understood what we really need is a personal Savior who is Christ the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you would, you would honor us and our generation with this much detail around the birth story and uh, the life of Jesus. Thank you for the details of an, just an obscure peasant couple who had just one of many babies named Yeshua. And yet 2,000 years later, for many of us, we can, we can say it has completely changed our lives. It's changed our lives in ways we don't even know because we don't know what you've protected us from. But here we are this Christmas season to say thank you for sending exactly what we needed, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And Heavenly Father, if it's never been personal before, I pray that it would become personal today, this Christmas season. In your Son's name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. If you want prayer for anything, the ministry team will be up here, and they would love to pray for you and with you. All right. Merry Christmas, everybody.